Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, and I kind of consider him an online friend who we've never actually talked in person, Ben Azadi. Welcome, Ben. I consider you an online friend too, Amber. So great to be with you today. Awesome. Okay, so Ben, he is the founder of the Keto Camp, and he also does the Keto Camp Podcast. He's the host, and he's written three books. He's a national speaker. And he's just amazing. He has this information out there all the time on keto, carnivore, fasting, health in general. And he has these amazing guests. So y'all definitely follow Ben. And while you're here, go ahead and subscribe to my channel too. Okay, so Ben, let's get started. I know you're super busy. Um, I want to know the man behind all of what you do. You are so busy and you put out so much stuff that I am just in awe all the time. I just see more and more stuff come out and I'm like, how does he do this? But I want to know the man behind that. Where does your passion come from? I understand that you were obese for a pretty good chunk of your life and that really affected you. I want to hear about that. I want to know how that got you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely, Amber. I was obese for most of my life. And it's hard for people to believe that when they meet me now or in the last 10 years, because I've been lean the last 10 years or 11 years now. But most of my life, the first 24 years of my life, I was obese. I, I grew up here in beautiful Miami Beach, Florida, where my parents did the best they can with what they had in their resources. And I was pretty much left to my own devices growing up. I hung out with the wrong crowd. I was addicted to video games and even drugs and a standard American diet, which our friend Ken Berry calls the stupid American diet. And it showed my body just ballooned and not just physically obese, but I said I was mentally obese as well because I had no confidence, no self-esteem, no aspirations and goals in life. If I did have a goal, it was a goal to get the highest stats on a video game. So I knew that I could dedicate myself to something and I was really good at video games, but I didn't use that energy and that dedication for anything that was constructive. It was more destructive. So that transferred into my adulthood where I found myself being 24 years old back in 2008 and I weighed 250 pounds. Uh, and at this point in my life, I was working at a packing and shipping store, actually here in the same city that I live in now that I recently moved to, uh, Bay Harbor Islands, Florida. I was a manager there and I was going, I was with my ex-girlfriend for almost four years at that time. And she ended up breaking up with me because the relationship was going nowhere, rightfully so. All I wanted to do was play video games and eat pizza. And she wanted more than that from a partner. So uh, she broke up with me and I was devastated. I, I was so depressed that I needed to have people around me. I, I couldn't be in a room by myself because when I was, I found myself thinking suicidal thoughts and even going on the internet and looking for ways to end my life because I would cry and I would be in pain all day and this lasted for months. But every time I pursued that, I would think about my mom. I would think about what she would have to deal with, the devastation she would endure if I took my life and it stopped me from pursuing that. So I had to do something about this because I was tired of being depressed. I was tired of having these suicidal thoughts. I was tired of crying every day. And this is the point in my life where books entered my life. You know, as you can see behind me, Amber, I have all these books behind me, but it's very important to understand that up until this point, I had never read a book in my life. Only in school when I was forced to do it, I did the, I did the bare minimum just mm -hmm. to graduate. 
but I never wanted to read. I never read on my free time. But somebody, you know, recommended a book and another book. And I started to read books from authors like Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor and Tony Robbins and Earl Nightingale and, and uh, Les Brown and these legends that have actually have gone through their own version of rock bottom. And they actually created some greatness in their life after hitting rock bottom. And I thought, wow, if they were able to do that and their rock bottom was sometimes worse than my rock bottom and they're doing such great things in the world, why can't I do the same thing? So this is the first time in my life that I actually became, I took responsibility for my health. I was playing the victim card up until that point. I was blaming my genetics, which we, we could talk about. We know it's not about the genes. I was blaming my enabling family members. I was blaming everything and anything I could get my hands on, but I was not blaming the only person responsible for my results, which was me. So I took full responsibility at that moment. I said, I am the victor of my future. I'm no longer the victim of my past. And I took responsibility. And I started to focus on my health for the first time in my life. I started to work out. I started to eat healthy. But it all started with responsibility. And fast forward nine months from that moment, I went from 250 pounds all the way down to 170 pounds. I went from 34% body fat all the way down to 6% body fat, size 38 in my jeans to size 30. So I finally, Amber, carved out this physical six-pack, which I always dreamed of being a kid that was bullied and picked on. Not that that is significant or correlated to good health. It could be, but not all the time. But for me, it was a goal. So I carved out this physical six-pack, but the most important thing I carved out was a mental six-pack. And that's what started my journey in the health space. Back in 2008, going into 2009, I became a personal trainer. I opened up a CrossFit gym. I became a CrossFit owner. I became a health coach. And I just started studying the area of health. And it took me from taking it as just uh, non-existent health to something that I treated seriously. I love that so much. You're like my inspiration. <laughs> like, I want to be you. Okay. So you talked about how you were bullied. I want to know a little bit about that. Like, when you look back, is there a painful moment that sticks out in your head that you feel has affected you? even to like this day, that maybe something, it was traumatic enough for you, maybe not for anybody else who who's actually would hear about the situation and go, oh, get over it, it's no big deal. But for you, it was a big deal. I'm hearing this more and more, how these little things can manifest and really make a difference in your health, your life, et cetera. Yeah, great question. You know, the first seven years of our life is where we get programmed all this information, good or bad, whatever it is, is really now our behavior. It's our, what's called a paradigm where you don't even have to think about it, just like driving your car or putting on your pants. It's like second nature. Well, we have these behaviors and it's estimated at least 90% of our daily behaviors are from our first seven years of life. So if we had crazy experiences, bad experience, being bullied and picked on, then that will show up in low confidence, low self-esteem, trying to be like, trying to be something you're not yourself. So for me, I mean, there's not, there's so many situations where uh, so many stories I could share with you. For example, not being invited to parties or just being called that fat kid and being mm -hmm. uh, bullied on the school buses, going to school, never having a girlfriend, right? In, in um, you know, middle school, high school until later on, uh, just being that kid who had no confidence, very low confidence. And that showed up even after my transformation. It took me probably 
about two years after I lost all that weight to actually feel like I'm actually a lean person now. Two years. I found myself six months after, a year later, still feeling like I was that fat guy, still being afraid to take off my shirt, even though I had six pack abs and it actually took me two years to actually feel like this is my body now. Um, and another thing that showed up for me over the years was I kept saying things, I kept responding to questions and I would respond, and I've done a lot of work on this. I would, I would give an answer and I would base my answer on uh, how I would sound and look, meaning I would exaggerate my answer so I could sound cool and look cool. And I was not really expressing my true self just because I had such low self-confidence and low self-esteem that I would exaggerate things, and I, which is essentially lying just so I could look cool in that person's eye or eyes or sound cool in their ears. And I've done a lot of work to stop myself when I realize I'm doing that, right? To stop myself when I'm going to say something just to sound cool and look cool. And then what, what's the purpose of that? It's not serving anybody. It's a, it's a blatant lie. So it, it continues to show up for me, but it's having that awareness to stop it right. and then choose something that's more authentic to who I am. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's very interesting. Um, I, for me, it's more like every so often these little thoughts come back in my head that I'm that, you know, not perfect person, not that I think I'm perfect now, but you know, that, you know, person that was picked on, bullied, if you will, um, and, and felt and made to feel yucky. And uh, it'll still some, sometimes come up even now. You know, I'm 54, okay? You know, you would think, get over it, right? But it, those little things do stick with you. So it's something you have to be aware of, like you said. And, and I love how you're, you know, are, are looking at that and, and trying to, you know, make yourself be that change. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about your little go with uh, being vegan. Because mm -hmm. if I understand it, you were vegan for what, a year and a half? That's right. I don't hear much about that. So I kind of want to hear your experience, why you did that, why you thought it was a good thing, and what were the results of that? And why did you stop? Yeah, so that was back in 2012, 2013, where the initial spark was reading the book, The China Study, which a lot of uh, vegans reference. I think they don't even want to be called vegans anymore. I think there's a new name for it. Somebody had shared it with me, but I forgot what it was. Oh, geez. <laughs> I think it was plant-based or plant power. Anyways, I read the China study, which is not really a study, and the studies that are in there are not really, they're more of a hypothesis, and they're not really good. They're correlations, not causations. Anyways, I didn't know how to read studies back then, and I really was duped by the book. And then I got into other books. Uh, Rich Roll, I read his book back then. Uh, I think there was a gentleman named Brendan Frazier, who also had a book about a vegan athlete an endurance athlete. And I, it inspired me to actually give it a shot. And I remember I, I gave it a shot and I actually felt better on the vegan diet. I felt a lot better the first few months. And I was, I put myself in a box believing that this is the end all diet for the world. I, you know, I'm saving the world and I'm improving my health at the same time. It's a win-win. And those who eat meat are, you know, they're evil. And I would like preach to my friends, like, what are you doing? Stop drinking milk. Stop eating meat although we probably should stop drinking milk either way. But um, so yeah, I, I did that. And then I realized around the four, fifth month that I was not feeling well. Uh, my workout started mm -hmm. to suffer. My energy started to suffer. My energy started to suffer. I started to get acne and gut issues. Mm -hmm. But being that I put myself in a box, I didn't even explore the option of this is not working for me. 
so you know i tried supplements and different things and it might give me it, it gave me like an initial boost but i stuck with it for a year and a half until i started to get into the work of paul check and uh joe mercola as well dr mercola and i and i realized maybe the vegan diet is not good for me maybe there's some things going on so i did some blood work and the blood work confirmed the way i was feeling so i said okay i'm gonna get off this vegan diet and then i started to do a little bit more research on what i should transition to and then i discovered uh jimmy moore and eric westman mm-hmm. and i and i read yeah. the, uh, his book keto clarity and cholesterol clarity and i this is interesting keto ketosis i always thought it was a bad thing ketoacidosis but it turns out ketosis is very different than ketoacidosis so i actually transitioned from a vegan diet to the ketogenic diet back in 2013 and uh i felt so good i I was doing crossfit at the time my crossfit workouts improved my body fat went down i was testing my ketones when it was like ten ten dollars a strip and if you messed up you lost ten (laughs) dollars oh the worst (laughs) the worst and uh and then that's where it kind of sparked my journey into the keto and fasting space i did fasting and keto at the same time yeah Awesome. Yeah. I never did the whole uh, vegan thing. I was pretty close to being a vegetarian, but for, I, I still liked my chicken, my fish because, you know, red meat was bad, just bad. So you don't eat that, evil, right? Evil red meat. Evil. Oh, terrible. Saturated fat, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to know a little bit about your carnivore experience. Uh, I watched your video and I found it very informative. I want you to talk about that. And then there's one specific part of uh, what you noticed improved that I want to expand on. And we kind of discussed this earlier. So kind of go through why you wanted to do carnivore, how you approached it. And I want to know about the blood test. Mm -hmm. So yeah. because you did the markers for that. I did. Yeah. So it was it's the opposite of the vegan diet, <laughs> the carnivore <laughs> diet. You know, I think the, by the way, I just want to close the loop on the vegan diet. I think the vegan diet is great short term. I think there's a, mm-hmm. many benefits if, if you, and I've done it last year, I did 30 days of veganism just because I, I, I do, I do personally see the benefit of it short term, 30 days, 60 days, sprinkle it in here and there for, for a lot of people. So uh, it's a great tool in the toolbox, but long-term, your genetics will ter- determine how long it'll take before you get sick on it with it. So uh, carnivore, yeah. So carnivore is very, I mean, you know a lot about carnivore. You, you do it and you speak about it. Um, it's so fascinating to hear all this anecdotal evidence about carnivore, people who have gotten improved skin and blood markers and body fat. I mean, we have Michaela Peterson and uh, Dr. Paul Saladino. I interviewed Dr. Paul Saldino last year and, and um, he, he inspired me to research more on it. And I did. And for months I was saying, all right, I'm going to do carnivore, but I didn't do it. <laughs> and then I eventually said, all right, to my Keto Camp Academy members, I'm going to do carnivore for 30 days at the very least. Who wants to join me? Let's make it a challenge. Let's do it as a group. And I had several people say, yeah, let's do it. So that was a way of kind of them holding me accountable and me holding them accountable. So it was a win-win. And I did it, but I wanted to do it the right way. Meaning I, I, I don't, I didn't only want to just do it and see how I felt. I wanted to have an extensive um, backup of, of lab work to look at. So I did a full blood panel on day one. Uh, and when I say full blood panel, it's not a basic blood panel that I did like your doctor gives you with your health, health insurance. It's much, much, much more beyond that. It's an extensive blood panel that my, my mentor, Dr. Pompa, put together that, that I run on all my one-on-one clients. And this is, and if you just bought it retail, it's a $3,500 blood panel. 
And it's looking at your, of course, your A1C, your fasting insulin. It's looking at your uh, inflammatory markers, which is important, like C-reactive protein, homocysteine, ferritin. It's looking at your entire lipid profile, but also the particles in your, your LDL. It's looking at your thyroid function, liver function, kidney function, white blood cells, immune system. It's looking at uh, insulin resistance. This is a comprehensive blood panel that gives you some good evidence if something's working for you or not. So I did that on day one, and then I went all in with carnivore. And if those who are listening who understand carnivore, there's four different levels to do it. I did a level, um, I did a level three. Uh, actually, I did a level two. So I only had, uh, for the first seven days, I did a level two, meaning I only had animal products, no dairy, uh, no cheese, no honey for seven days. And what I noticed the first seven days was that my energy levels actually dipped a little bit mm -hmm. and my body was just making this transition. Mm -hmm. And my workout started to really suck. Uh, I was bonking and I didn't have that burst. So on day seven, I decided to add some eggs and some dairy, which is now a carnivore level three, and then a, some honey around my workouts, which I guess is a level four, if you want to call it that. So I did have that honey around my workouts and that made all the difference for me. So I did that for the rest of the period. And then on day 30 is when I originally planned to stop. However, I needed to go get my lab work done and the lab was not available for another 10 days because <laughs> of the Corona issue. So I couldn't uh -huh. get an appointment. So I said, oh, I guess I'm stuck with carnivore until I get this lab work done. So I ended up doing 40 days. On day 40, I did the lab work, same lab work that I did on day one. And then I stopped carnivore. The way I transitioned off of carnivore, by the way, was a, a, the way that I recommend if you do get a carnivore, because you're in a unique position doing carnivore. It's the ultimate elimination diet. You're in a unique position to determine which foods agree with you, which foods mm -hmm. do not agree with you. So I wanted yes. to know that. So I incorporated one non-carnivore food four days at a time. So I, uh, on day 40, I added sweet potatoes. See how I felt. Did I get a flare-up with my autoimmune, which we'll talk about? Did I get uh, did I feel good? Did I feel bad? I felt fine. Did it for four days because by the way, four days is how long it takes for food sensitivity to show up with a symptom. Meaning you could get a headache today or uh, acne today or brain fog today from a food you ate from four days ago. So I did one food four days at a time. So I did sweet potatoes and then berries and then cauliflower. And then eventually I kind of figured out cauliflower didn't really work for me. Berries did and different foods did. Um, a really interesting thing that happened during my carnivore experience was what happened with my autoimmune, uh, which we were talking about off air, Amber. Mm -hmm. I have Raynaud's uh, autoimmune. You had Raynaud's autoimmune, mm -hmm. Amber. Raynaud's, if you're not familiar with what that is, mm -hmm. it means your body is not able to actually get uh, blood flow to your extremities. So your fingers, your toes are really cold. And when you grab a cold beverage or you're in cold weather, they, it, the blood flow is so bad that your fingers start to turn white and then eventually they start to turn brown, uh, purple and you need to kind of get some circulation. You need to go grab a hot cup of uh, water or wash your hands under, under hot water to help yep. with that. I almost lost my fingers, by the way, um, four years ago, maybe three years ago, hiking in Washington State in Snow Lake Mountain after I hung out with Mike Mutzel. And then we went to go, not Mike and I, but my friends, we went to go hike Snow Lake Mountain. We polar plunged into this cold body of water. It was summer, but the water was freezing. And I hopped out and my fingers were all white. And oh. they, I couldn't even close them. I was beginning to lose function. And I'm like, I need to find somebody with a lighter. So uh, thank God 
some hikers were walking by. They had a lighter and I literally put the lighter underneath my hands for like 10 minutes and I got blood flow back. But I almost fingers. <laughs> Insane. Whoa. So, uh, and my autoimmune also showed up the opposite. I don't know if this happened for you, but the opposite would happen after I would eat a meal. My fingers would actually turn really hot and inflamed and swollen where I would have to remove my, my ring and it would be very uncomfortable. So this was happening to wow. me every day. Did that happen to you? No, no. I, when I heard you say that, I was like, whoa, I never even yeah. heard of that. Yeah, it, that did not happen to me. So for me, I was stimulating my immune system with the foods I was eating and it was creating a, this opposite response of hot mm. and flame fingers. And it would happen. And so going into carnivore, this would happen just about every single day for months. During the 40 days of carnivore, I only had two small flare-ups of the fingers getting hot and my hands weren't cold. It was the summer, so I couldn't really test. But those flare-ups was just two small flare-ups the whole time, which was so huge for me because it was just, it improved my quality of life. I didn't have to worry about feeling so uncomfortable with my fingers. So the carnivore experience was just tremendous for me. Uh, I had so many benefits and I encourage those who have autoimmune, who have some things going on to do it, to do it the right way and watch what it does. I, I didn't even mention, what did it do to my lab work, right? I told you, yeah. forgot. you were going to ask that. Um, so my cholesterol was already high. I naturally genetically run high with my total cholesterol, with my lipids. So on day one, I was already high doing keto. And on day 40, they went even higher. So my LDL particles went up. My total cholesterol went up. However, all of my oxidative stress markers, my inflammatory markers dropped. The biggest one is high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is looking at systemic inflammation. Uh, this is a good marker to assess your risk of a cardiovascular event, a heart attack, a stroke. On day one, my C-reactive protein was 1.1, which is pretty good. On day 40, after eating nothing but saturated fat and cholesterol from animal foods, I cut that in more than half. It was 0.5. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> 40 days. <laughs> 40 days, right? And then you look at my homocysteine, that dropped. My A1C dropped the point. So all, all of these inflammatory markers dropped. And that's what's important to understand for your listeners, that the oxidative uh, principles rule. If I had these high particles of cholesterol and my inflammatory markers increased, that's a bad sign because then the inflammation is going to drive these particles into my arteries. However, my inflammation dropped, which was an improvement. My liver function looked better. So it's just, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom, <laughs> right? Doesn't it? So I hope that inspires your listeners. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So why did you not continue carnivore? That <laughs> I was very curious about that because I have yet to hear of the reason. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, several people have been asking me that, right? Well, I mean, I have a different view on nutrition than a lot of my colleagues out there. Uh, and, I have, and I respect all their views. But I, I know that there's not one ancient culture in the history of this world that ever stuck with the same diet long term, right? So I believe it's important to change your diet, to, to vary it around. The way that our ancestors did it, we, we were mimicking mm -hmm. our ancestors. So the reason I didn't stick and stay with carnivore is because I believe that if I would have stuck with it long-term, I would have started to see the same things I saw with my vegan diet. Mm -hmm. my, my genetics would have determined how long it would have t taken for me for this not to work for me. So with that being said, I think I could have done it longer, maybe 
four months, six months have gotten better, and maybe even a year or, or even longer. However, now it's a tool in my toolbox. So mm-hmm. what I do with it, I'm going back to it. I just did seven days. This past seven days, I just did carnivore. I just did seven days, actually six days on the seventh day I broke it. Uh, of carnivore. I'm going to go back to it every single month. So it's a tool in my toolbox. That's by the way, the same way I teach keto. I teach keto flexing. So you use keto as a tool, but we're not, we don't stay in ketosis long-term. So that's just my view on it. I've seen a lot of people benefit when they vary it up. Um, but some of the, those who have severe autoimmune mm. need to stay on carnivore longer. That's for sure. Yeah. That, yeah. And there are some people who just can't go back to eating certain things because now they know it affects them. You know, for instance, for me, it, it was fiber. I, I don't, I mean, so for the Raynaud's that I had, I, I, I'm not aware of autoimmune issues besides, you know, that that's related to that, but, um, the fiber. So at this point, I'm like, okay, let's say I can't do carnivore anymore that my body doesn't want to do that anymore. It needs something else. What the heck am I supposed to do? What other good, because uh, I'm not going to eat crap carbs, you know, but what good carbs could I eat that are not going to, you know, cause me to go back to having all those digestive issues that I had? And it's like that I've suffered with since I was three. So it's like, oh, crap, where do I go from here if I needed to, you know, evolve and switch up? What do I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honey, I don't know. But my, my, you know, yeah, that would not be good. Insulin resistance. No, that would not be good for me. No. Honey makes me go. Does it really? Oh yeah. 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 Not good for me. Not good for me. <laughs> and bananas, not good for me either. <laughs> Definitely. A lot, people, a lot of people, by the way, who think bananas are good. Ah, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. So, so what does somebody like me do? Let, let, let's say, you know, to, that I needed to cycle or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what now? Yeah. Yeah. So you go, so what I would recommend is going upstream and figuring out, all right, you got the nutrition part down pat, you know, you're doing carnivore, definitely giving your body healing, but what are some other hidden stressors that have contributed to your autoimmune that have contributed to you not being able to digest fiber and and carbohydrates? So there are, um, there's three different areas, right? So when we look at health, it's, it's a, it's a three-legged stool. Is this going to be video too, or just audio? The interview? Oh, both. Both. Okay. So for those who are watching, and I'll, and I'll explain this in a way that if you're not watching, you can still understand. When we, when we look at health, it's, it's a three-legged stool, right? So this is my pretty stool that I just drew for Amber. Uh, we know the principles of a three-legged stool. We need all three legs in order for the stool to be sturdy and strong. So think of your health as this stool. So one, one leg of the stool is DNA. So I'm writing DNA in one leg of the stool here. Another leg is stress. And when I say stress, that's the middle leg. There's three different areas of stress. There's mental, emotional, which is our thoughts, our 60 to 70,000 thoughts that we think every day. Uh, There's chemical, so toxicity. And then there's physical. So physical would be giving birth. Physical would be uh, an accident, like an injury or an abusive relationship. But all of these contribute to your stress leg. And then we have the third leg, which is the gut microbiome. Well, it's clear that when you're doing carnivore and you're eating clean fats and and animal products, you're taking care of the gut microbiome for sure. So we need to explore the the middle leg here. We need to explore mental emotional. We need to explore toxicity. We need to explore physical stuff. So I would recommend you look into this area and you start looking upstream. Uh, For most people, it's a toxicity thing. I mean, toxins are everywhere from silver fillings in the mouth, from lead-based paint to glyphosate to car fumes, to cleaning products, but all this 
accumulates and bioaccumulates and these toxins get stored in deep inside of our tissues and it stays there for life until we pull them out the right way. Uh, for example, if, if, if you ever had silver fillings, I did, 50% of each filling is mercury. Do you currently have fill fillings? I do, yeah. and my dentist wants to remove it, but I've had so much dental work due to my bulimia and horrible diet prior to keto that I, I it took a year to like fix all my teeth and everything. You're like, and I don't want to do this one thing. And my dentist is like, you know, it's okay, but I really kind of like to take that out and just go ahead and put a different filling in. I'm like, yeah. So, yeah. I wanted to ask that too. So keep going. Yeah. And I know you've seen me post about that and that, yeah. that's huge right there because 50% of each filling and I had eight of them. Okay. And eight oh. fillings in my mouth for 20 plus years, 50% of each filling contains mercury. Mercury goes from that tooth uh, in the filling and it crosses the blood brain barrier and it gets stored in the hypothalamus pituitary part of your brain. And that's significant because it's locked in there for life until you strategically pull it out. And every day that, that, that silver fillings in your mouth, it vaporizes and you eat food, you drink a hot beverage, even more. And it's locked in there. And that creates dysfunction with the gut and with just inflammation. So step number one for sure is removing it the right way from you know, a holistic dentist, safe amalgam removal, and then doing detox. So that component for you is an area that I recommend you explore and you start doing detox. And you're going to notice that stress bucket now becomes depleted a little bit more and then maybe you could go ahead and start introducing non-carnivore foods and you might not have a flare-up. But it's like, it's these hidden stressors. When we go upstream and we start removing the interference, then we could start healing the body. And then eventually you could transition off carnivore and feel good and then go back to it. And, and that's what I was referring to. So we want to go upstream and see what's there. Very interesting. I like that strategy because I know a lot of people are in the same situation as me. You know, they're like, Ooh, yeah, that food really, you know, messes with me. And I was like, if fiber is my issue, Oh yeah. How do you get rid of that? You know, it's kind of like an anything good carb wise. Yikes. Okay. So you are also a huge proponent of intermittent fasting. Like that is like one of your things. And um, I'm a fasting coach. So obviously I advocate for it too. However, I've been hearing a lot in the community, both keto, mainly carnivore, where specifically women who have done a lot of fasting or a more extended fast are starting to have issues. And their belief is because it caused a lot of stress in the body and the cortisol and you know all this kind of stuff. Some have lost their periods, some have had a hard time conceiving, um, those kind of things. What is your opinion on that? Yeah, yeah, fasting is, is my favorite uh, thing to talk about in regards to health, so I'm with you. I love, even more than keto, I, I love fasting. I think it's the most powerful tool in the shed uh, and if you use it the right way, it can get you amazing results, uh, much more than just fat loss. A lot of people come to it for fat loss, but they stay because of the health. Same thing with keto and carnivore. So yes, fasting is a stress to the body, but it's a good stress. It, it should be a good stress that creates stronger cells, stronger mitochondria. It's an adaptation. When you force adaptation, my dog is snoring here. <laughs> when you force adaptation, Good cells get stronger, bad cells do not adapt. So the analogy I give of, of fasting is this. Think of uh, this, this ship that's going through the Atlantic Ocean and the, let's say there's 100 passengers, it's a cargo ship and they're taking on this stress, which is a storm. And they're taking on all this water, they're starting to sink, 
It's a stress to the ship. Fasting could be a stress to the body. The captain of the ship is going to tell all the crew members to go find cargo on this ship that is not important. Let's get it off. The, let's dump it off this ship. Let's get through this storm. Your body does the same thing with autophagy, right? It gets rid of this unimportant cargo, these damaged cells, these senescent zombie cells, gets rid of it, gets through the storm, and now you're stronger as a result. The crew members have more chemistry as a result, and you're better equipped to deal with future stressors. That's the way it should work. But if you're doing too much fasting, if you're going through too many storms, what's going to happen is that it's just too much stress for your body to handle. On top of that, if you already have too much stress in your life, and in 2020, a lot of people do, then it's just too much stress for your body to deal with. So we want to make sure we shorten our fasting window. I think everybody should be doing intermittent fasting every day, at least 16 hours. But when you start doing 20 hours and, and longer and you're losing your period, that's a sign that we need to cut your fasting window. We need to make sure we're limiting how long you fast for, and we need to do some other things to work on stress, whether it's mental, emotional, like I said, chemical, physical, whatever it is. But it, fasting should be done by everybody. But how long... It depends on the person, their circumstances, their situations. A simple test, by the way, to know if your fasting window is working for you or if it's too much stress in your life is to test your blood glucose and ketones throughout your fast. If you see your glucose drop during your fast, blood glucose drop during your fast, and ketones rise throughout your fast, that's a good trend. We like that trend. We want that trend. But if you see the opposite consistently, your glucose is rising during a fast, your ketones are dropping it's too much stress. Your fasting window is too long. Cut it and kind of build your way back up because fasting is like a muscle that you develop over time. Also, I want your audience to understand that there's no such thing as a failed fast. You know, if you go for 16 hours and you do 15, there is a benefit there. That, that is success. Every fast has its benefit. So there is a Goldilocks effect here. We don't want to do too much or too little. We want to find what works for us. Oh, I love that. And what a great, I didn't really think about the, the fasting glucose. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have, I'm going to have to check that. I, I, I haven't been testing much since carnivore because I just didn't really feel the need because I'm not really, what, I mean, what am I eating that would, you know, whatever. So, but I did just do a whole series of tests. They're a little bit more, um, I don't know, comprehensive, if you will, but not as obviously not what you did. But um, so I'm waiting to get those results back any day now. So I'm hoping those are good, but I have nothing to compare it to. So, eh, oh, well, but anyway, at least I have a baseline now. Exactly. So when you do it again yeah. in the future, you could, you could compare it to this one. Yeah, exactly. So I need to kind of check on that, the blood, you know, when I'm fasting, I usually fast a minimum 16 hours a day, just because that's what works for me. And, and not because I'm looking at a clock or anything like that. That's just what my body tells me. And usually it's longer. I only eat twice a day, but that's what my body tells me. I don't want to eat more. It's just, I would physically have to be forcing myself to eat when I don't want to. And that to me kind of goes against everything that I fought to not oh. do. You yeah. know, so anyway. Okay. So are there any people that you would consider or conditions where they absolutely should not fast? You just said that you feel everybody should fast. Is there any situations where you would say, eh, yeah, I really don't think you should be fasting? Yeah, there's always exceptions to the rule. So if you have an eating disorder or a history of an eating disorder, you know, uh, which you spoke about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, maybe you work with the coach, you work with somebody like Amber who understands uh, how that works. If you're malnourished, you got to be careful and just make sure you might be able to fast, but make sure when you're eating, you're feasting <laughs> plenty of protein and fat and, and calories. You're getting your nutrients in. 
Um, if you're pregnant, of course, you, your, your baby needs a nutrient. So maybe you know, it's not a good idea to practice fasting. If you're uh, under the age of uh, 21, you're still growing. You need more mTOR. You need more of this growth pathway, less of the autophagy. Um, if you're over the age of 65, you could still fast for sure, but you got to make sure you're getting enough protein, extra protein during your eating window. So these are all considerations. And what we, you know, what we share here are, are general rules to follow, but there's always an exception to the rule. Uh, so just make sure you apply it to your unique situation. That's very important. I love that. Let me check the time. Okay. Oh, yeah, we're still good. Okay. So this is always such a controversial thing and I want to get your opinion on it. Calories in calories out. Mm. Do calories matter or are they maybe just a little bit made to be just a little bit too important or maybe it all is all about calories. What's your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. The old, the old calories in versus calories out. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Calories matter, but they're not important. And uh, when I was a personal trainer and a CrossFit owner, I used to teach, I had seminars, get the seminar that we're on, the science of fat loss. And I would talk about calories in versus calories out. This is how you calculate it. And then I realized, oh, the human body has no mechanisms or receptor sites to count calories. Why am I doing it? Why am I teaching people to do that? The body is not a calculator or a bank account or a math equation. The body is a complex chemistry lab. So what's more important than calories in versus calories out is health. It's cellular health. So let's stop focusing on distractions like macros and cutting calories. Now, when I say macros, there's a time and place to count your carbohydrates and your proteins, but I'm not talking about calories in and creating a deficit here or calories out uh, because the body is more sophisticated than a math equation. So instead of that, let's focus on cellular inflammation. Let's focus on hormonal health because fat loss is a side effect of health. Like Dr. Berg says all the time, right? We don't lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy to lose weight. Counting calories is losing weight to get healthy. And a lot of dietitians and nutritionists and doctors teach that. I did myself, but they're wrong. I was wrong. The way to do it the right way is to get healthy. Let your hormones communicate more efficiently to your cells and these receptor sites that you have on your 70 trillion cells. And then your fat burning hormones can now dock and burn fat and you get your cells could produce more energy. And by default, as a side effect, you start to lose weight because nobody has a weight problem. When I was obese, I didn't have a weight problem. It is a weight symptom. We need to look at what is the actual cause because for every cause, there's an effect. There's not just an effect that shows up, even cancer. Cancer is not the cause. Cancer is the effect. Cancer is actually the answer to show you that something is not working. Something you've been doing for a long time is not working. So we want to make sure we look at the body at a cellular level. We look at the body as a hormonal, uh, 600 hormones. We want this, this um, complex chemistry lab, this orchestra to work the right way and you do it with everything that we've spoken about on this podcast so far. I couldn't have said that better. That was awesome. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Kind of along the same lines with keto, I've seen multiple arguments on my thread about, I don't even know what the whole post was about, but on one of my threads on Instagram, there was this big hoo-ha about, uh, 
that it's not keto. Keto is a, a you know a metabolic condition, which which that's true, yes. And so basically, their argument was that if you're doing a keto diet, it does not matter what you eat, so long as you're in ketosis, <laughs> and that's considered keto. Okay, what's your opinion on that? Because I mean, I guess if you go by the actual definition of what keto is, you know, ketosis, whatever, uh, that's true. But you know, that that's at yeah. the same time. <laughs> totally, yeah. You know, it's unfortunate because a lot of even keto educators will teach that. They'll teach how to, you know, go how to be keto at fa a fast food restaurant. I you'll never find me make a video about that ever. You know, <laughs> I I, under, I understand maybe the thought process like not everybody could afford healthy food and let's give them an option here, but I just think it's the wrong message. So they're right to answer your question, and you mm -hmm. said it. If your goal is to just produce ketones then you're, they're absolutely right, you know? But if your goal is health and longevity and to make the most of this metabolic process, they're dead wrong because you could get into ketosis eating inflammatory fats like vegetable oils and, and McDonald's without, you know, a Big Mac without the bun and you're gonna be able to produce ketones, but are you getting healthy? No, are you gonna even be able to lose weight? Probably not, and if you do lose weight, it'll come right back. You might show ketones on your blood uh, strip but you're not going to get healthier. You're, you're shortening your life. So it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to use keto as a tool to not just burn fat, but to reduce inflammation and to live a long, healthy life, to have good energy levels, then we don't do that. We eat clean keto foods. We eat these building blocks that give our cells the nutrients that it needs to thrive. So it really depends on the person's goal. So I would say to those who are arguing that, yeah, you know, it's anything that gets you into ketosis is, is fine. They're right if their goal is just to get into ketosis and not health and longevity. Exactly. And you know how, in, even on my website, I have it under the, the keto section of foods that are, if you want to say keto friendly and foods that are not. And his argument was there is absolutely no list. There, you know, you can have a candy bar if you can, you know, keep it under a certain amount of whatever your body needs in order to go into ketosis. And I'm like, so do you think there really is a food list for keto or is that completely, you know, dumb and not necessary for keto? Well, the best way to get into ketosis is just not eat anything and let your body <laughs> burn its own body fat. <laughs> there is, there should be a food list for keto for sure, because we want to make sure we're eating the right keto foods, these clean keto fats, because it's not all fats are created equal. Fats could kill you or fats could heal you depending on which fats you consume. So yeah, there should be a list, you know, the, the, I'll give your audience just a, a rundown of some general healthy fats, the avocados, avocado oil, olive, olive oil. Uh, grass-fed beef, uh, wild-caught fish, even nuts and seeds, if you can tolerate them, uh, green leafy vegetables, if you can tolerate them, right? You just got to be aware of the oxalates. And then the worst ones out there that are all keto-friendly are the vegetable oils, right? It's these uh, canola, uh, soybean, cottonseed, uh, sunflower, peanut oil, safflower oil, grapeseed oil. These are all inflammatory fats that are all keto-friendly, but they're worse than cigarettes. They're worse than sugar because guess what? Your body cannot even burn those vegetable oils. Your body can burn sugar like when you're consuming sugar, but not these inflammatory fats. They're actually worse than sugar. So there should be a list. People should see a list and a template, but also understand that your body could also, you're, you're, you could get into ketosis by burning your own body fat. You could, burn, you could get your keto calories from the plate of food in front of you, 
which could be a healthy plate of keto food that could get you into ketosis, or you could get it from your butt, your hips, and your thighs. It's really <laughs> your, your choice. Yeah, that's what I have for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. I have any. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me see. I know there's something else. Oh, um, like when I was first starting keto, um, that was 2017. So, it, I mean, it had been around a little bit, but it was still, you know, kind of new um, and not out there in the public as much. And it was this huge thing. The whole thing about being keto is super high fat you know, like what is 75% or whatever. And then your protein, Ooh, be careful. Don't you eat too much protein because gluconeogenesis and, you know, is kick you out of ketosis and all that. What is your attitude about protein on a ketogenic diet? Yeah, it's, it's different than what it was maybe a year, a year and a half ago. It's funny. Cause I just did, I, I posted this extensive video all about protein inside of my keto camp Academy, where I talk about this. Um, does too much protein, kick you out of ketosis. It's very rare actually to see that. It's very rare. I think more protein is better. It's a good rule of thumb to actually have more protein because here's what's going to happen. The majority of the protein you're going to eat, 60, 70% will be burned as fuel. And let's say you just eat a massive amount of protein. Well then the, the, the part of it that is converted to glucose, cause it will, some of it will be converted to glucose. Then it's just used to refill your glycogen stores and you have up to 2000 calories that you could refill it with. So it's almost impossible to get so much protein to create this glucose response. It's gonna knock you out of ketosis. So uh, I think it's more of a myth than anything else. Now, can it happen? Like I said earlier, there's always an exception to this rule, but why don't you try it for yourself? Like test your glucose and ketones, have a bunch of protein. I recommend, eating, whether you're doing carnivore or keto or whatever dietary approach you're following, even veganism, it'll be hard to do this with veganism, but I recommend <laughs> having 40 to 50 grams of protein at your meals. That's a good, at, at the bare minimum, that's a good rule of thumb. And if you have 70, 80 grams of protein, which is going to be hard to do, will that knock you out of ketosis? I highly doubt it. And if it does, I'd like to see some of the data on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you hear about this so, so much. And the whole, it, 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 I remember when Thomas Delar came out and was talking about the gluconeogenesis. Remember that? And it yeah. was like this big thing. And then he kind of recanted and said, actually, I probably wasn't right about that. And so he's kind of come out and, you know, started talking different. But now we know because more stuff has come out with the science. And so now we understand it a little bit better. So, you know, I, I just see a lot of people saying that, you know, ooh, still uh, too much protein, too much protein. And after going carnivore, and I'm just like, ooh, but protein is so important because now I understand the importance of protein because I was never a big protein eater. Like I yeah. said, you know, chicken and fish was as much as I did. I was pretty much vegetarian. But so for me, the protein was kind of, ugh. And, so that, it's, it's, you're right. And, and there's also a balance here too because if you're having protein uh, all day long, then it's too much mTOR and it's too much growth, right? You don't get enough autophagy. So uh, we want to make sure we're getting enough protein, but we're getting that protein in a small window so we can get that spurt of mTOR, which is that, which is a growth pathway in the body, uh, which stands for mechanistic target of rapamycin. We want spurts of mTOR, but not all day long because that's going to actually create more disease. So there is a balance here. Have your little eating window where you have enough protein and then you have your fasting window which is the opposite of uh, mTOR, which is the autophagy. So we want a, a, a delicate dance here that we want to accomplish. 
so you're not advocating for six small meals a day? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's even being, that's being conservative based off of how Americans eat. Uh, they're in the teens with how many times they eat a day. Seven, yeah. Three, three times a day. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing to me too, after, you know, I've, I've had this, you know, transformation or whatever, and I've learned so much and I've seen how it reacts with my body and stuff. Like when we would go on a, on a, a, a boat trip with friends, they would bring like ice chests full of food. And it's like, we're not burner. staying yeah. here a week. It's like, what are you afraid of? But they just, it, it, it would just crack me up because I would have just like enough for a little lunch, like some, I don't know, wraps, meat wraps, whatever, or something like that. Just the meat rolled up. And, you know, if you, and back then I was eating nuts at the time, I think. And I would just be looking at their stuff going, oh my God. Yeah. You know, are you afraid Gilligan's Island were going to be stranded for a while? I'm not sure. I forbid but, you go more than three hours without food, right? Yeah. I, exactly. That cracks me up now. I just have to laugh when, but that's most of our, you know, population. I was like that. You were like that too. Oh, right? Yes, I was. Absolutely. You bet. I mean, I woke up thinking about food. I went to bed thinking about food. Oh, I couldn't get too far away from food. And if you're traveling, oh, oh my gosh, there's going to be this, this, this strip of area where there's no places to stop. <gasps> You know, I mean, it was terrible. Oh my goodness. Not fun being a sugar burner. No. Quality of life. And see, that's what people don't understand is the freedom. Mm -hmm. The freedom. And here's another question for you. A lot of carnivores, and and I I guess on keto to an extent, they notice that they don't have that hedonistic, you know, need for food. That it's, it's not that they don't enjoy food but it's not the same where you look to food for your pleasure. What's your opinion on that? I mean, yeah, I noticed the same thing. It was a weird feeling because I ended up doing more OMAD on carnivore because of that. I was not, but it was a weird deal because physiologically I was not hungry. I was very much satisfied, but psychologically, I was like, mm-hmm. I think I need to eat more. Like I need to add, come use adding like a side or something like green leafy vegetables. So it was more of a psychological thing, but yeah, I, I was not hungry. I, I never really get that many cravings, but I, I was just one meal a day and I feasted at that meal and I felt good. You know, my energy levels were stable. Last week when I did seven, six days of carnivore, energy levels were good. They improved. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do carnivore ish now, like this week, I'm going to do mostly carnivore and then I'll have, you know, some things where I don't do carnivore, but yeah, you're right. That goes away. The feeling of needing to eat. And for, it was a weird feeling for me because it was more psychological than physiological. Yeah, I, I, I find that very interesting too. And, and I hear this a lot. This is a very common thing. And, you know, for people who don't understand that, to them, it's like you're depriving yourself of something. Mm-hmm. But that just goes to show you how much we relied on food to give us pleasure. Yeah. Which I'm not saying you, you don't enjoy your food. That's a completely different thing. You can still enjoy your food, but don't look at it as that thing that drives your pleasure. Which yeah, that's I'll be honest, <laughs> I did that. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's the difference between eating to live and living to eat. Yes. yes. And you know, there should, again, there should be a balance here because you also want to be able to enjoy yourself mm-hmm. at events and parties and all that. And you could, you could still do that. Yes. You could be carnivore, but you need to, how you do that is you have people respect your, you set boundaries and you mm-hmm. have people respect your boundaries mm-hmm. and don't let them pressure into something that, you know, it's not your highest values right now. If your highest values are eating nothing but meat and being carnivore and you go to an event and they're like, what are you doing? That's super weird. And you give into that. 
you're living your life for somebody else and not for yourself. So you have to set boundaries. It's very important. That is so, so true. And I know for me at first, because I was very apprehensive, I didn't feel like I had the knowledge to, you know, tell, uh, explain or to, you know, justify if, yeah. if you will. And now, you know, it's like, I have what I need. I have the results. I talk to people every day with the success stories, you know, the antidotes and everything. And I'm like, I, I don't owe anybody anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't feel that need anymore. But at first I was kind of like, uh, well, um, yeah, I'm just not eating anything but meat, uh, you know, and, and they're like, perfect example of, of competence equaling confidence, right? If you understand yes. you have knowledge, you have competence, that's going to give you more confidence and conviction. So perfect. Example. Absolutely. Yes. And that took me a while. I'm, I will just tell you that. Okay. We are coming up on time. I do believe. So do you have any last minute advice to, uh, for, for anything, you know, overall health or specific to carnivore, anything you feel like you want to get out there? Yes. So during the, mm -hmm. when life is working for you, when things are good, uh, the, the quote is this, when things are good, you put it in your pocket, meaning, you know, income, you're, you're saving. When things are bad, when you have challenges, you put it in your heart. So for those who are going through a challenge right now, and a lot of people are experiencing challenges in 2020. It's really a character building year. It's a learning experience. So what can we extract from the lessons that we're being taught in 2020? And it really starts with our awareness and perspective on what's happening with the world. And I mean that with our 60 to 70,000 thoughts that we think every day. If you could have awareness and start to master those thoughts, you will change your life. Your health will improve. Your finances will improve. Your, your uh, relationships will improve because we do not get what we want in life. We get what we are. What are we? We're our thoughts. And most of the thoughts that we think, 90% of them are we talked about are these programmed conditioned thoughts. And it's the same thoughts from yesterday, which are usually negative thoughts. So let's get really aware and it's very sneaky. So it's when we're brushing our teeth, washing dishes, walking our dog, you know, it's these subconscious thoughts that are going on all day long that lead to what we are getting in our life. So for me, I'm walking my dog, Amber, and I'm saying, I love myself. I love myself. I am a genius and I apply my wisdom. I'm actually saying, I'm having these affirmations. I'm saying it when I'm brushing my teeth, washing dishes. I'm saying it when I'm working out. And guess what? My life is continuously improving. So I would, you know, encourage your audience to start inner sizing, start thinking thoughts that only serve your future that you want, because what we think about and what we think about, which is gratitude, we bring about. So whenever you have a negative thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do carnivore. Oh my gosh, why am I so fat? Just look at that thought and say, thank you. You do not serve me and let it pass like a cloud and then choose a better thought. And if you could get really good at that every single day, you're going to be healthier, you're going to be happier, and you're going to make a bigger impact in this world. And that's what I want to leave for your audience. I love that. That is awesome. And I have actually been practicing that. I'll have, you know, I started out being all whiny and depressed and, and this is not working. This, you know, having to be stuck inside and all. And then I got to thinking, oh, why are you doing that? That's stupid. Okay. I'm over it. And now I hit it, you know, bam. So it's all good. I love that, Amber. So, good yeah. job. I'm proud of you. Keep doing yeah. it. 
<laughs> yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be in the mirror going, I is smart. I is motivated. I is. <laughs> That's what it takes. Yeah. I love it. As weird as it might feel at first, right? It's just, it becomes, you become more comfortable with it, but that's what it takes. I love it. Okay. So Ben, where can we find you? I will have all of his stuff below. Don't worry, but just shout out anything or, you know, your books, whatever. Go ahead, shout it out. Yeah. Well, you could find me on my Keto Camp podcast. Since this is a podcast, you could go check out my podcast, Keto Camp YouTube channel. And just keep in mind, it's camp with the K, Keto Camp with the K. Um, on on uh, Instagram, it's uh, at the Ben Azadi. And you can just type in my name on any social media platform and you could, I'll pop right up for you. He does. Trust me. He's everywhere. <laughs> okay. So y'all subscribe and follow Ben. I'll have all his information below. And Ben, thank you so, so much for coming on. It has been a pleasure. I'm so excited to get to talk to you in person. It's been a blast and keep doing what you're doing because it is amazing. And I am watching you. I am you learning are. from you. So there you go. You got to be a good mentor, you know. <laughs> you're a great supporter and I love what you're doing in your work and, and great job with your podcast. So thank you. For oh, thank you. You're so welcome. And you have a